Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the long-term psychological impact of COVID, a closer look at the 2021 State of Lung Cancer report, and a Golden Gopher Fall Sports Preview. But first... Minnesota's primary election was this week, and by any standard, it was a pretty exciting one, particularly in the context of national politics. Bill Werner joins us with a recap. Scott, let's go first to the primary election for Minnesota Attorney General, where Republican Party-endorsed candidate Jim Schultz will be on the ballot this fall against Democratic incumbent Keith Ellison. That after Schultz this week defeated Republican challenger Doug Wardlow by nearly 18 points. Wardlow had accused Schultz of a weak stance on abortion, Wardlow saying he, Wardlow, wants a complete ban on all abortions, except when necessary to save the life of the mother, and that he he would work to overturn Doe v. Gomez. That decision from Minnesota Supreme Court, which invented and created a whole cloth, a right to abortion in the Minnesota Constitution, is bad law. It is erroneous. Schultz indicated support for a ban on abortion after 20 weeks, with exceptions for rape and incest, but also stressed that Minnesota's attorney general... It shouldn't be a fundamentally political offense. It shouldn't be an offense that's focused on kind of the the latest political issue that's out there. What it should be is an office that gets back to basics, protecting Minnesotans every day and doing justice. Schultz is making Minnesota's crime wave the major thrust of his campaign and a direct attack on Attorney General Keith Ellison. Minnesotans deserve a safer state, a state in which they can live and raise their families in safety, where they can go to our major cities and be confident they'll be safe where they can live in our major cities and be confident that they'll be safe. And we haven't had that for the past few years. As we now begin the final stretch to November, Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz predicts the way the campaign will fall out is that Republican candidate Jim Schultz will hammer Democratic incumbent Keith Ellison on crime, while Ellison will focus his attacks on Schultz's stance on abortion. I think Ellison's going to try to pin down Schultz on this, much in the same way that Governor Waltz is trying to use the abortion issue against Scott Jensen. But Hamlin University professor Schultz contends that Republican Attorney General candidate Jim Schultz's position that the AG's office should steer clear of political issues is good strategy because polls suggest over 60% of Minnesotans support some form of abortion rights. Walking away from the abortion issue is probably smart if he's going to pick up centrist voters in the state of Minnesota. But Professor Schultz adds... It is also ironic, though, that him talking about public safety, he's essentially talking about the same issues as Keith Ellison. Now let's move over to the 1st Congressional District in southern Minnesota, an unusual situation to say the least that likely is confusing to some voters because not only was there a special election this week to decide whether Democrat Jeff Ettinger or Republican Brad Finstead serve out the balance of the late Congressman Jim Hagedorn's term in the U.S. House, but there was also a primary election, same day, on whether Republican-endorsed candidate Finstead or GOP challenger Jeremy Munson would be on the ballot this fall against Democrat Ettinger. Munson on the campaign trail said if he had been in Congress after the last presidential election. I would have not certified the electors on January 6th because the elections in many states did not follow the rules. Including Minnesota, said Munson. But Finstad said, Quite frankly, my fear is that when Congress muddies the business of our elections, we actually open the door for more fraud and more abuse. 
Finstad defeated Munson by a 3-to-1 margin in the primary, meaning he will be on the ballot this November against Democrat Ettinger. And Finstad also won the special election against Ettinger, meaning he will serve out the balance of the late Congressman Hagedorn's term, basically through the end of the year. It's, a, I think, a sign or a signal that uh, common-sense Southern Minnesota conservative values that I've displayed my entire life and career are you know, what voters are asking for. The matchup in November to determine who will represent the 1st District for the next two years will be between Republican Finstad versus Democrat Ettinger, who contends he is better aligned with Southern Minnesota values. I'm more progressive on social issues and, and probably a little more cautious on spending. Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz says Republican Finstad probably has an advantage going into the November election against Ettinger. It was a district of course, that was already leaning Republican. The redistricting of which the November election will now kick in for is even a little bit more Republican than the one for the special election. Now let's go on to the 5th Congressional District, Minneapolis and nearby suburbs, where highly visible and controversial Congresswoman Ilhan Omar barely turned back a challenge from fellow Democrat Don Samuels, winning the primary election this week by only about two points. Samuels conceded late Tuesday night. We have come so close. Uh, We have taking on such a Goliath of a challenge. Omar said Republicans and conservative Democrats, quote, have worked in lockstep to vote us out, but said her victory is testament to how much our district believes in the collective values we are fighting for and how much they're willing to do to help us overcome defeat. Hamlin University analyst David Schultz says Omar underestimated her opponent's strength on the crime issue in particular. I think she underappreciated the degree to which the public opposed her stance on defund the police and really was truly concerned with the issues of law and order. Schultz says Omar's initial statements after the primary election indicate that her narrow victory probably has not changed her point of view. But either way, she is almost certain to be re-elected in November in the heavily Democratic 5th Congressional District. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Change a light bulb, save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Though cases of COVID are down, relatively speaking, the cumulative psychological impact of two and a half years of dealing with the pandemic is taking a toll, so says Dr. Kaz Nelson with the University of Minnesota. Not only are the existing effects of the stress of living within a pandemic and the frequent testing and the canceling of events and traditions starting to 
accumulate over time. But at this point, people have been infected by COVID-19 and in many cases had repeat infections of COVID-19, which we know can have effects like long COVID uh, directly on the brain, which also, of course, directly impacts psychiatric health. Now, obviously, I would say common sense would tell us we've been living through this, as you mentioned, for two and a half years. It's bound to have an impact. But in terms of the mental health impact, how do we, how is that manifesting itself and how do we know for sure that it's having an impact? Well, any form of stress directly impacts many different types of psychiatric illness. And so there were many people that had existing psychiatric illnesses even prior to the pandemic that this stress is then exacerbating or making it more difficult or challenging to deal with uh, psychiatric symptoms. And then for others, they may be developing new psychiatric disorders in the context of this, of these circumstances. And then again, it's multifaceted because it's not just the stress, but there's the direct impact of the infection on the brain and the neurologic system, which can lead to psychiatric illness such as cognitive disorders. People may find that their thinking, concentration, and memory have changed uh, with repeat infections, and they uh, and other psychiatric disorders we are seeing as well. Um, Doctor, you mentioned the cumulative effect, and obviously the pandemic is still ongoing. Now, we're not, we're not at the height of it like we were a, a couple years ago, but talk a little bit more, if you don't mind, about that cumulative effect. It seems like some of us sort of have one foot in the reality that there is still a pandemic, one foot out. You know, we've been dealing with it for a long time. As you mentioned, it can be stressful. Um, you know, what is the reality here in terms of how long we're going to have to deal with this? Well, with the subsequent virus mutations that we're seeing, all of our infectious disease experts are advising us that we are not yet done with COVID-19 and the risks that come along with COVID-19 infection. And so, yes, there's tremendous fatigue from Taking, people taking steps to mitigate and, and manage living in a pandemic and a very strong urge to uh, adopt the previous patterns and behaviors that we had prior to when the pandemic took place. But it's so important for our whole health, um, not just, uh, well, our mental health in particular, it's so important that we continue to follow the advice of our public health experts and infectious disease experts and to not be cavalier about this. Even with vaccinations, uh, there is a risk to the brain and a risk to psychiatric health from infections. And in particular, um, we don't quite understand the brain risk of repeated infections. And so our society, we're going to see a lot more disability evolving, psychiatric and neurologic disability from um, long COVID. And uh, I think um, we're probably, are, I know our systems are not really prepared for all of the uh, need for care that we're going to see. 
In terms of psychological impact, I know I've seen several of the reports and studies that have come out since the pandemic, uh, focusing specifically on teenagers and, and younger, uh, you know, on kids. It's had a devastating impact on on that particular segment because their their lives have been disrupted just as as ours have been, and their brains are developing. So, um, yeah. what can we uh, what can we do as parents uh, to help our kids through this sort of ongoing, to provide ongoing mental health reminders that we need balance in our lives? Yes, uh, some of the specific experiences that we all have and that young people are no exception are grief, isolation, uh, the stress that comes along with adopting new models, you know, switching to virtual technology versus in-person, um, the uh, cost to relationships and uh, spending time together with people. And we know children and adolescents that this is a vulnerable developmental period for them and also is a period of time where people are susceptible to developing psychiatric illness during some of these developmental windows. And so um, to answer your question, what can we do? Well, we have to understand very clearly the public health guidelines. We have to make sure that our children are educated about the, the public health guidelines and why they're in place and creating safe and meaningful opportunities for connection to, to combat some of the isolation that naturally comes along with the pandemic as much as possible uh, can, can help build community which can mitigate some of the isolation and stress. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Kaz Nelson with the University of Minnesota. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The 2021 State of Lung Cancer Report from the American Lung Association shows that Minnesota ranks fourth in the nation for the five-year survival rate after being diagnosed with lung cancer. Only Connecticut, Rhode Island, and New York have a better five-year survival rate. Tasha Radel has more. Joining me today is Pat McCone with the Minnesota American Lung Association. Pat, can you give us an overview of this report? Sure. Well, this is our seventh year of our lung health barometer, and what we are measuring is people's knowledge about both lung cancer and the early screening and just some of the basics around lung cancer, which is the leading cause of cancer deaths. So of all types of cancer, lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer deaths in the United States, both in men and women. And there's really been a lot of advancements around early detection and treatment. So that's what the barometer is about. Pat, is there a demographic or age group that lung cancer is affecting more so than others? Or are we seeing it kind of all across the board? Well, there is a high-risk group of folks that actually are eligible for screening. And screening is so important because early detection for all types of cancer can also predict a better outcome. So the guidelines for those folks that are eligible for the early screening are people that are age 
50 to 80 and have a 20-pack year smoking history and are currently smoking or they've quit within the past 15 years. And so each of those pieces are important groups of folks because you may have a loved one that quit 10 years ago and you think, well, there's no longer a risk. They're still in that group that should get screened um, for lung cancer. So uh, I think it's really important to raise that awareness that there is a uh, there is a screening that can uh, actually be a really important one. And of, in that category, only seven percent of Minnesotans in this high risk category have been screened. Pat, I didn't realize lung cancer screening is available for those high-risk individuals. For someone interested in getting a screening, what is a good first step? It's always a good first step is that conversation with your health care provider, you know, saying, hey, this is my history. I mean, getting your health history and your history if you've been a person that smoked. And pack years would mean if this 20-pack year threshold, if you've smoked two packs a day for 10 years, that's equivalent to 20 pack years. And then asking them, um, do you qualify for this uh, low-dose uh, scan, scan for um, early detection of lung cancer? When we talk about early detection, we've really come a long way when it comes to lung cancer treatment. So again, early detection, I guess, is truly key. It's, it is so key because, you know, there are no early warning signs that you think, oh, like other, you know, if you have a mole on your skin that changes, you have a warning sign. But there really aren't any early warning signs for lung cancer. And, the you know, past history is people have waited. They have a cough. They don't think anything of it, clearing their throat a lot, not thinking anything of just this persistent uh, kind of normal that they have adapted to. And then finally, they start getting short of breath and go in and uh, seek help, thinking my breathing's gotten harder. And it's gotten harder in some cases with a, a tumor that's already blocking an airway. We, you know, Then it's sometimes too late for options that could have, uh, with early detection, could have really nipped it in the bud early on and are, are already a stage three or four. Those were some of the questions that came to the top of my mind today, Pat. Was there anything else you wanted to hit on? I think the other thing, the other risk for any kind of exposure for lung cancer is radon. And three quarters of Minnesota homes test high for radon. So that's another thing to put on the what can I do for prevention is test for radon. That's a really good reminder, radon. Uh, as we know, it's a colorless, odorless gas. Correct. Colorless, tasteless, odorless it is. And uh, like I said, all of Minnesota has some elevated level of radon. And the only way to know that if, it's, if you're being exposed in your home, especially if you have bedrooms down in the lower living area, uh, testing is so important. Thanks again to my guest, Pat McCone, with the American Lung Association here in Minnesota. For more information on the 2021 State of Lung Cancer Report, you can head to lung.org. Again, that's lung.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. College sports starting on the University of Minnesota campus and school officials say ticket sales are going well thus far. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with U of M Associate Athletic Director Mike Wiersbicki, who says things are much closer to normal from a campus standpoint this year than in the past two seasons. Like anyone else, the last couple of years it's been up and down, and a year ago at this time we're talking about masking and social distancing and what's you know first game's going to look like for for volleyball and soccer and football and you know hopefully that's all behind us, but still obviously encourage everyone to stay safe and, and be healthy. But yeah, it's a little bit more normal, which is I think great for everyone as we get excited for the fall for our student athletes coming back and on practice you know on campus practicing and, and getting ready in their seasons and different testing protocol that they had to go through the past couple of years. So things feel much more normal, which again is going to make you know game day feel even more. Special when fans get back on campus, regardless of what sport it might be, that uh, it's going to be a little bit more different than uh, would have been last year, or especially two years ago, and now back to a normal environment. Certainly, there are tickets available, but that said, uh, fans are excited. You had mentioned to me that uh, season ticket renewals are going great, and ticket sales here leading into not just football, but volleyball and soccer, and the others also going well. Oh, it, it is, and, and like that's where I think for everyone, you know, everyone's gone through a difficult, difficult couple of years, and whether that's economics or finances or health wise, and so for us, we kept all of our season ticket pricing flat of what we've had over the last few years, so no pricing increases regardless of what uh, else is going on in the economy, and saw tremendous responses from our fans from a renewal percentage, which is great. You know, our season tickets are really the backbone of our foundation, regardless of what sport you're looking at, and those season ticket no, renewal numbers were extremely strong, and now we're going through kind of the, the back half of new season ticket sales, single game on sales for our fall sports, many plans, go for pass, you name it, really kind of all focusing back to our bread and butter of making sure options are out there, regardless of you want to come for all seven football games, you want to come for 12 volleyball matches, whatever it may be, different options, different price levels available, and regardless of what demographic you are. So season tickets are also available. And then you mentioned the Gopher Pass. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so the Gopher Pass is something we debuted a few years ago uh, within Huntington Bank Stadium. So it's a, a variable seat within uh, the football stadium. So some days you might be sitting uh, in the West Plaza area. Some days you might be at the 30-yard line. So it's an all-mobile pass that you can link up with other uh, season ticket holders who are kind of just interested in you know different viewpoints every week. And uh, those get assigned just before game day. Can link them up for only $199 for the season. So that's a little, a little bit 
bit around 30 bucks per game, so it's a great deal. And obviously not a chance to enjoy Huntington Bank Stadium for a variety of different viewpoints, which we've seen some great feedback from our fans over the course of the last few years and um, really a chance to enjoy it and, and see the stadium in different ways. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it's it's uh, it, it helps the budget. If fans are not sure, this is a way to get in maybe at a more affordable rate. And there might be a Saturday where, like you said, all of a sudden you're at the 35-yard line sitting uh, looking right down uh, you know, the nostrils of Tanner Morgan or something. Exactly, and the way we've kind of got it built out, Mike, is also that you know you can also add some tickets on for friends and family. So if you've got friends and family coming in for that Iowa game and, and want to have four or five tickets together, well, great. You've got your gopher pass. We can add those on top of the, on a discounted rate compared to a public single-game price. So really, it's got that flexibility on a week-to-week basis, but also some opportunities that when you can bring some friends with you, which we certainly appreciate and enjoy, you can quickly add those on regardless of the game. That opener, uh, Thursday night, it's been Thursday night for a long time. I love it. I love night football. I think it's great. It kind of kicks off, to me, the school year, too, right? Starts that following Tuesday. How are sales going for that, and can fans still uh, come and and get tickets? They're going great, Mike, and I think it's always you know unique, right, playing that Thursday opener, but it's fun for us to kind of have the spotlight on, on that night, which is tremendous. So uh, we're looking forward to New Mexico State coming in um, Thursday night, 8 o'clock. Tickets are available. Gophersports.com can see all your different options there. Again, whether you're looking at a Gopher Pass season ticket or just even a single game ticket. All the different options right there for people to come and enjoy. And, and things are looking really strong. Obviously, really important here. Last three weeks as we get down to, to kick off and expect a tremendous maroon and gold crowd for that home opener. Volleyball has become the hottest ticket in town, maybe, right? I mean, the PAV is sold out, it seems, almost every match. Uh, the Gophers seemingly every year in the Elite Eight, the, the Final Four, what have you, contending for championships. Uh, are there tickets left if people want to watch the uh, Gopher volleyball team? Yeah, really credit there to Coach McCutcheon and our staff. There are tickets available. We've got a limited number of season tickets as well as some uh, some decent single-game options. Again, gophersports.com. But I think one of the most exciting things, you look at our volleyball program, obviously we know that, that Hugh's going to have us competing at a high level, but you look at the competition that we're going to play, and obviously the big 10 schedule we know is extremely daunting when you've got matchups with Wisconsin and Penn State Nebraska you name it but also non-conference you know Hugh brings in a tremendous schedule I know we've got Oregon Stanford a few others coming in here so it's uh, something that you're going to see you know the highest level of volleyball competition um, great opportunity for, for families kids to come and enjoy and, and see the product out there in the PAV so yes you definitely encourage everyone check them out we do have tickets available uh, limited so act, <laughs> act now because uh, they do go quickly and the Twin Cities is such a great soccer community and um, I know there's been packed the uh, the Robbie at Elizabeth Lyle Robbie Stadium and the Gophers with with now second year coach Aaron Chastain. She's done so well. Um, uh, how exciting is that and how are ticket sales going there? Yeah, very similar. Extremely exciting. I think even with Aaron's first year last year, we sent a variety of attendance records. Uh, so fairly anticipate that to carry over again this fall. I mean, when you spend a, a beautiful evening out at Elizabeth Lyle Robbie Stadium, the sunset, the atmosphere, uh, great obviously product on the field. Um, it's enjoyable. And so again, I think that's one where it's affordable. It's great for families of all ages, kids to come out that uh, enjoy that soccer community. We've seen how Minneapolis St. Paul has supported, you know, Minnesota United, Minnesota Aurora, who had a tremendous season uh, in the Women's Professional League. And we see that same support carrying over to our Gopher program, which we appreciate and expect some really strong crowds this fall. Real quick sneak peek ahead, uh, the two marquee winter sports, men's basketball, uh, men's hockey especially, and you got women's hoops and some others. How's that all looking? It, it, you know what? It's, it's crazy. It's almost here. Right? We start yeah. talking about winter sports and we want to enjoy this gorgeous weather that we have, but it's right around the corner, especially you talk about hockey seasons with Coach Mosco and Coach Frost. You know, uh, end of September, early October, we get into hockey season and basketball right after that. Um, you know, tremendous seasons to coming back from, especially on our men's hockey program with Bob taking that team to the Frozen Four. Um, tons of excitement with what Brad has returning as well as on the basketball side with Ben and Lindsey. Um, it's fun. And I think, again, you just talked, you know, where we started the conversation. 
coming back to campus, you know, celebrating Maroon and Gold Pride. It doesn't matter what the sport is, if it's basketball, hockey, wrestling, volleyball, you name it. Um, there's something for everybody. And so, you know, we love the support. It means so much to have our fan base fill in the stands, cheering on our student athletes, embracing that pride of being associated with the U of M, and just can't wait to get people back again on campus. That's Gopher Associate Athletic Director Mike Weir's Vicky with MN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.